and he lifts one to left field. It is deep, it is high, and it is gone. A walk-off home run for Joe Gray Jr. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever, wherever, however you are listening to the Graham Slam podcast. I am your host, Brandon Anderson, and welcome to episode 24, the XFL 2001 season in review. So we start off this episode today by kind of the uh, complete opposite of the XFL Their potential competitor, the USFL, United States Football League, that starts up on April 16th, 2022. So we are just shy of about two months, two and a half months until the first kickoff of the season. And this past week, the USFL Executive Vice President of Football Operations, Daryl Johnston, was on 365 Sports back on January 31st, uh, which was Monday, and had talked about that they look forward to competing against the XFL in 2023. I am shocked by this statement. I don't know exactly what it meant. Um, they did. He did not go into context. Um, the uh, show host of 365 Sports did not question it further. Um, But at least looking at a calendar, they would only be going head-to-head with the XFL, um, probably about three or four weeks actual play head-to-head. Now, of course, if you're talking coaches, players, staff, things like that, that could be direct competition because if they sign multiple-year contracts with their staff and players um, once this season begins, that could show some issues for the XFL with that uh, type of scenario, but there's a lot of players, a lot of coaching or coaches and staff out there that definitely would um, be playing in the XFL and coaching for the XFL, Um, but also that the uniforms and the jerseys will look very uh, much the same as the original teams that played in the USFL, except with a modern touch. Um, If, one thing I did note um, and saw um, this past weekend uh, when looking at the um, NFC Championship game or watching the NFC Championship game against the St. Louis Rams and the San Francisco 49ers, um, Fox, who is the official, um, basically owners of the USFL, uh, put out a commercial um, that had a guy who was sitting at a a nice restaurant looking at a menu ordering food or whatnot and um, he kept hearing around him um, other tables were looking at menus and when he had look around they're looking at um, gameplay uh, guides or whatnot to play calls or the call plays and Essentially, as the commercial went on, he looks back at the kitchen, which you can see in is kind of one of those uh, kitchens you can see from your seats, kind of like if you're watching an episode with Gordon Ramsay and uh, any kind of 
kitchen show or cooking show he's on. And when he looks back there, the chefs are in Houston Gamblers like uniforms and helmets. Now, it has not been confirmed that that was their uh, helmets or uniforms, but I will leave a link in the episode notes of this episode so then you can go view the commercial for yourself unless you may have seen it during the Fox NFC Championship game. Uh, it's kind of cool to see their promoting of how they're doing it. I'm just still worried about it, and I'll talk about that more as we go on. Um, but back to the interview, he did state that one thing that killed the UF, USFL almost 40 years ago was competing with the NFL, and that wasn't the greatest idea ever. He said that uh, this current version of the USFL will not compete head-to-head with the NFL, but also didn't want it to be a development league for the NFL either. Um, he said that uh, they will be working on uh, basically the, like, player development, um, developing the players directly um, so they can craft their game um, from the ground up. And if they come off of the backside of the the calendar, he was saying, for the USFL's schedule, they still have time um, to participate in training camps with the NFL and that basically if even if a player essentially goes to the championship game it'll be on July 2nd 2022 so that kind of gives that just enough time for those players to essentially go into NFL training camps and try out or be signed by NFL teams but they will not be a direct development league of the NFL or competing with the NFL um he talked about how they're will be a split between two stadiums in Birmingham, Alabama, um, which we kind of knew about from the announcement almost two weeks ago. Um, but he is happy to bring football to Alabama as there's no current pro leagues running a team in Alabama, um, especially in Birmingham for that matter. And that the South is just a, a massive area for football and football fans in general. It is actually I, – I am surprised that no NFL – um, and I don't think there's any professional sports teams in the state of Alabama, which I, I'm really shocked. The NFL is not, like, basically taking that market yet, and I, I'm kind of surprised. They obviously have uh, the Atlanta Falcons in that region. They have the Tennessee Titans and maybe some of the Florida teams, essentially, the Jacksonville Jaguars and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But it's, a, it's an untapped market that I think – Essentially, USFL will do great in. Um, I do not believe the XFL will have a team in Alabama, at least Birmingham, um, from my knowledge, unless, and this is the big unless, they sign a contract with one of the other stadiums. uh, Because as far as what this interview kind of stated, obviously the first season is going to be in... um, basically to to really be financially successful for year one they did a hub city in Birmingham with those two stadiums and that'll help the logistical side of things with not putting so much money in traveling they have basically a bunch of hotels in Birmingham uh, rented out uh, for that time of the season and then of course they have the two stadiums so unless the XFL um, can pull off uh, essentially getting one of those stadiums they play at, uh, potentially 
the the stadium at the Birmingham Thunderbolts, which I'll talk about later in the episode for the 2001 season played at, which is one of the stadiums USFL will be using. If they can if they can do that, there's a possibility that the XFL could expand into Alabama, but I just don't see it happening at least year one. Maybe down the road, and maybe as time goes on, if both leagues work, um, they won't necessarily be competition. It sounds like they're trying to say they're going to be competition. Um, at least uh, Daryl was mentioning that in this interview. Uh, but he hopes for a year or two and really look forward to that. I, I mean, that's all we can all hope for in any of these spring leagues if you're a football fan is just the consistency, making it the year two. It has not happened yet. Um, the XFL 20, 2020 season was definitely on board to do it. But then, of course, we had the pandemic that hit. So that didn't happen. So both USFL and the XFL look to do that and to strive in a market that is needed, in my opinion, um, and a lot of others. I think a lot of people are just they want football. Year-round football would be amazing. I mean, baseball season runs usually from March to October, where football season is, uh, if you count preseason, it's uh, August to February. It's it's a lot shorter, so I think year-round football would be amazing and it would give more play to some of these players that may not get that chance in the NFL or are sitting on the bench as a, a true backup. If they leave, go to one of these leagues, they could be the star of the league, the next Tom Brady of the XFL or USFL or whatnot. Um, but again, the USFL essentially will have eight teams uh, that represent eight different cities. And the USFL kicks off Saturday, April 18th, 2022, with the primetime game sim- simulcasting. Um, on both Fox Network and NBC with the New Jersey Generals facing the Birmingham Stallions. A game, as I talked about last week, that I, I am hoping to attend. Uh, my tickets, as you saw on Instagram on Tuesday, have arrived. They were printed pretty quick and arrived pretty quick. So it's just now getting some logistics together for myself and my wife to potentially go to this game. Um, I do not believe we're taking our kids, even though kids 15 and younger are free to get into this game in Birmingham. Uh, So that's all remain to be seen. And then, of course, uh, right off the ticket when I am essentially recording this, the if you've heard of the fan controlled football league uh, that had a season last year, um, they are officially coming back. We knew about this a while back, but there had not been a time frame. Uh, they have officially announced that uh, this past Tuesday, their uh, season will be going head-to-head with the USFL uh, beginning on April 16th, 2022 from Atlanta, Georgia at Pullman Yards uh, Stadium and will run until June 11th, 2022. Now, of course, this starts on a Thursday night, so if the Fan Control Football League is smart, they may actually not coincide, per se, with the USFL and have games during the same time. Um, I would assume with NBC uh, hosting the Fan Control Football League on Peacock, uh, their streaming service, that they would not overlap the 
contract they have with the fan controlled football league but we don't know we don't know what that essentially as the fan controlled football league was an arena football type league but featured some former nfl stars like johnny menzel quentin flowers Braden smith david pendale josh gordon and many more uh this league was fun i i watched it i uh my daughter oldest daughter loved this she doesn't like football much but she definitely loved this um we got to basically interact on um, our uh, fan control football apps where we could call the plays in live time. So basically how it worked is a play would pop up as they were going into the huddle and you would vote on it. The most voted play would then be called on the field at that point. Um, so that eliminated like offensive, defensive coaching and things like that. So it was, it was, it was fun. Um, I, I didn't think it would make it the year two. The, it, seemed like it kind of faded out at the end uh they did end up having their championship game on march 20th 2021 with the glacier boys losing 46 to 40 um against the wild aces uh funny enough the glacier boys were my team i have a jersey by them who is actually uh all these teams are crowdfunded uh ownership but the main owners of the glacier boys was uh richard sherman from the NFL, I think he still plays with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, was a 49er, and previous to that was the Seattle Seahawks. So I have a uh, Glacier Boys Seattle uh, jersey, or Seattle jersey, a Sherman Glacier Boys jersey, and essentially my daughter's favorite team was the Wild Aces, so she got the win there. I did not get to see that championship game because if you had listened to my uh, podcast this past Monday, the Smorecast, which is an addition to this podcast, great segue into that is um, I was actually on a fire. That was my first official fire call that I was on. I missed that game. Um, but again, if you haven't checked that episode out, it is automatically uploaded. If you subscribe to the Graham Slam podcast and airs every last day of every month, and it will be 12 episodes this, se- this year or season per se. Um, but getting back to the fan control football league, um, this league did not feature fans for the first year due to the pandemic, but they have announced that they will have fans at the games in Atlanta, Georgia this year. Um, I may talk about this on the opening segment come this April, um, but highly doubt it, uh, based on the timing and, uh, of course, trying to cover the USFL pioneer league and anything else in between with XFL news. Uh, I, I don't know if I'll have time to cover this league, but we'll see. I may open up a more in-depth uh, episodes or whatnot um, on YouTube to kind of focus on certain things. We'll all see. But, again, those games start on uh, April 16th, which is a Thursday night, and it will be streaming on NBC Peacock. Um, they have not announced if uh, you'll still actually be able to call the plays in live. Um, like they did, it was, again, the, the games were, uh, aired on Twitch. So I'd assume Peacock could be the same way, but essentially it'll remain to be seen what exactly is airing on Peacock, how that's going to be. I assume because it's still called the fan control football league that they will keep that aspect to it. I just don't know the realm of things of TV delays, streaming delays, 
um, with Peacock compared to Twitch, because Twitch was pretty damn good at uh, essentially, like, you click to play, it'd come up. Um, there'd be a few times where the play would come up right after a tackle happened on the field, um, but essentially there was not much of a delay. So it'll be interesting to see how Peacock uh, does with that, with the Fan Control Football League. Um, but another thing that was also announced this uh, week was the uh, switching over to the NFL was the new Washington football team name. They are now the Washington Commanders. And let me tell you how disappointed and disgusted I am with this name. But I am also very glad that they did not steal the defender's name uh, from the DC Defenders in the XFL. But one thing I want to touch base on is I am so sick and tired of these NFL fans and just overall football fans that are continuing to trash the spring league, um, spring leagues or whatnot with naming. Like every post I see about the Washington Commanders name, which in my opinion, it's, it is what it is. It's better than nothing. They should have gone with the Red Hogs. Um, it would have been a lot better, but the fact that the information leaked on Wednesday night or Tuesday night uh, prior to their announcement because someone forgot to cover up the, the uh, I think it's the team shop at the stadium and a helicopter flew over and could see the new name from the helicopter, which is just stupidity at its finest. But I've also seen they've leaked the name like several times in the last week as well. It just amazes me how dumb this organization is. And the fact that they kept the color scheme just is... I, I know they want to honor history as their video claimed, but it, it's just... It's it's not working for me. I I'm, never was a Redskins fan or Washington football fan for that matter. And I don't know. It just doesn't set well with me. I, I There was other great names out there than this, um, but... At least I'm glad they did not take the DC Defenders name. Uh, but overall, what I'm getting sick of is these fans essentially like, oh, that's an XFL name. That's an XFL name. Like, can we get away from that? The XFL team names may be on the lower side, but when you're looking at um, kind of talking uh, with like the Pioneer League, baseball leagues, things like that, and these minor league teams that are naming some random random names now that we continue to see I just don't understand why like everyone has to instantly compare anything the NFL does bad that it's instantly like hey the XFL is terrible let's go like this is an XFL move this is an XFL move when in all reality, there's a lot of rules and like the camera and things we'll get into in the main segment today about the 2001 XFL league that the NFL adapted a lot of different things from that league. And there's a lot of leagues that are adapting rules from the 2020 season as well that I'll talk about next week. But come on, people like Stop comparing everything to the XFL and disgrace, disgracing it because eventually with the USFL and XFL and hopefully, again, I hope they work. I hope both leagues work. I don't care if it's competition. That's what makes things better. I, I don't want either league to compete with the NFL for any reason because it's 
it's an instant failure. It has been in the past, and it'll be in the future. Um, but I think that you could at least create more opportunities for players to eventually go to the NFL. And I'm sorry, but we've seen quite a bit of different players end up in the NFL that have done very well from the 2020, uh, 2020 XFL season. And it's just, it doesn't make sense of why every time something happens with the NFL, whether it be a name change, uh, Jersey updates or whatever the case may be, that is always the answer they go to is, Oh, that's an XFL move. That's an XFL move. And it's, it's quite annoying. Like, just being a huge XFL fan or even these lower tier leagues like the Pioneer League that are independent, when they do name changes or they change, like create a team like the NoCo Owls, obviously they were the Orem Owls before this, but then you have the Glacier Range Riders and these different teams that come about and People are trashing them. I think Houston Astros just announced a new rebranding for their AAA team to the Space Cowboys. And, I mean, if you know Houston enough, we know it's a space-like atmosphere because of NASA and all the history with the um, like space uh, launches or spaceship launches and stuff in Houston. But the name is cool. Like, I thought it was awesome. I thought their logos are cool. Wouldn't mind a hat. Um, but people are trashing it. And it's just like it, the, the same thing happened, though. We've talked about it before on this show. That people trashed the Vibes name. They trashed the logo. They trashed everything. And maybe it's just the fact that people are just run their mouth on social, social media, which we all know it, it happens. I mean, um, even listening to my buddies over at the Boundless Gamers podcast of the whole fanboy situation with Sony and play or Sony PlayStation and um, essentially Microsoft's Xbox. You have these fanboys and these people that just trash everything, no matter if it's good or bad. And I think that's what we're seeing. But it is just sickening seeing people can continue to. Any bad mood move the NFL makes, it's instantly an XFL thing. And eventually, I could see the NFL adapting the XFL overtime rules once we actually get a actual version of that that we can see. Um, obviously, the 2020 season of XFL never had overtime, so we didn't get to see what their overtime um, like rules were other than on paper. But it seemed like it was going to work compared to what has happened in the playoffs um, just in the last couple weeks with uh, overtime. So it, it just makes you wonder, um, like, can we, like, at least give the XFL some credit? I know there's still a lot of people out there, and that's why I want to get the, the word out there about the XFL coming back in 2023, is a lot of people have no idea that the XFL is returning all they know is The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson bought it um, almost two years ago now from, well, less than two years ago because the league was just starting two years ago, but about a year and a half ago that The Rock and Danny Garcia and Redbird Capital bought XFL um, out of bankruptcy that people just don't pay attention and they act like all surprised when announcements come and like, oh, 
what's taking so long? This is ridiculous. And it's like, where have you been? This has been announced for a while. It's been done. And I even saw the other day on Twitter, I was interacting with a uh, sports writer for um, High End Magazine. Uh, I think it was like a muscle building magazine, but the, the guy was accredited in like multiple Super Bowl appearances and stuff like that for media and wrote for some other like sports uh, sports magazine. And I, I kid you not, like he had no idea the XFL was coming back. He thought like anything Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia touches trash and all this type of stuff based on some biases he has due to, I guess, a bodying, or, uh, bodybuilding competition that Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia were putting on back in 2016 that failed, apparently. He was basing their entire like future and history of business deals based on this one scenario and claiming they were like, massive failures and anything they touch fails. And I'm like, looking across the... like on my phone at Twitter and I'm like are you kidding me like both of them have been very successful business people and second off they have a Redbird Capital who is basically one of the higher end um, sports agencies they they own part of the Boston Red Sox I believe and a bunch of other like sporting companies and whatnot I think even LeBron James has some uh, ownership and may have some ownership of the Pittsburgh Penguins now as well but it's it's like come on people like do your research especially if you're if you're a high-end sports writer for magazines and you have covered sp- jur- like a sports journalist some random dip idiot on a podcast named Grand Slam Podcast Yes, I'm calling myself an idiot on this because I am nowhere near a sports journalist. Knows more information about a league that's starting up soon and follows it pretty regularly. You would think being a sports journalist, you'd cover all sports, and especially when you're trying to credit yourself on Twitter for being some high-end sports writer for the NFL, MLB, and a bunch of other things that... You have no idea about the XFL. Like, you're clearly not following it, but then you'll randomly post and, like, trash Danny Garcia and Dwayne The Rock Johnson on an XFL post that you randomly came across. It just doesn't make sense. And it's quite annoying of people that continue to do that. But at least on my podcast, this is free open space. I am talking about what I enjoy, I love. The XFL is one of those things. And that is what we're talking about on today's episode um, is the original uh, opening of the XFL back in 2001. That is where I got my hook on the XFL. But without any further ado, let's go ahead and segue over into the Entertainment 10. Speaking about today, the MLB, the show 22 coming out in April, and then, of course, Halloween Ends, the final Halloween movie in this new trilogy with Jamie Lee Curtis. We'll be talking about that along with the other two movies in it that comes out this October after a 
almost uh, two-year delay due to COVID-19. But let's go ahead and get into the Entertainment 10 now. All right, welcome back, and it is time for the Entertainment 10. So right off the bat here, uh, it has been officially announced uh, last Monday that MLB The Show 22 is returning. Um, There had been some questions of what was going on with the game as it was getting very late in the time frame that they normally are showing us uh, gameplay footage, announcing the game, the cover athlete, everything like that. Um, That had not happened, and finally this past Monday they announced it, but there's a lot of surprising news coming out of it. For the second year in a row, uh, Microsoft Xbox Game Pass will be getting the game day one release on April 5th, 2022. So anyone that has Xbox and has Game Pass, you don't need to buy this game. It's already included with Game Pass. I, I think that is outrageously crazy that for two years in a row, um, since debuting on Xbox and leaving the uh, PlayStation-only format that they will be releasing on Game Pass. So I'm not buying it. There's no point. Um, I bought it a couple years back when it was still on PlayStation. Not this year. I'll download it and hopefully looking to stream, uh, potentially create the Pioneer League in MLB The Show 22. So we'll see how that goes. Um, That adds on to my WWE 2K Twitch streaming I plan on doing. Um, But the biggest news out of this is that the game is coming to Nintendo Switch, which is very odd to me and interesting at the same time um, as to how this game will really work on the Switch. The Switch, Nintendo Switch, for anyone that knows, is not graphically compared to PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X or any of the the next-gen consoles. Um, So this will be the official first actual sim baseball game outside of MLB RIB Ribby game that comes out every year that is coming to a Nintendo platform since I believe the MLB 2K franchise existed on Nintendo Wii back in the 2011-2012 season. So nearly, roughly about um, close to 10 years, we have not seen a game on a Nintendo platform um, that's a true sim baseball game. Um, it will, the Switch version will feature cross-play, cross-saving uh, between platforms. This is going to be interesting too. I, I, it still remains to see how this works. Um, I, I know there's other games that do it currently, but I'm interested to see how this works with a pretty high-end baseball game with such amazing graphics. Work on a Nintendo Switch um, and cross-play, essentially. Uh, so that we'll see again uh, come that time frame if I plan to throw that in to the overall streaming. Hopefully, maybe get some uh, friends to essentially play some baseball. Um uh, you just throwing it out there, uh, Boundless Gamers. Uh, Jock, I know you like baseball. I don't know if you've played MLB The Show recently, but maybe do a co-stream or something uh, for both of us, essentially, to play some baseball. I think it would be an awesome thing to do. Um, but moving right along, if you are a horror film fan, uh, the new and final Halloween movie in the new trilogy, Halloween Ends, which is set to release on October 14th, 2022, started filming a a couple weeks ago on January 19th um, in Savannah, Georgia, 
under the working title Cave Dweller. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis began filming her scenes last week on the 25th. I believe this is the last movie that essentially should wrap up the series and may possibly make the Halloween movie that came out this past October actually make sense. I did not personally like it. Um, there was a lot of people out there that said they did, but a lot of what I read is that this third movie will connect the first and second and third all together, where then it just seems like one long movie. And that's where the second movie will then sort of make some sense. If you haven't seen Halloween um, Kills, I believe it is, Halloween Kills, the second movie that came back out in October, it is out on 4K Blu-ray streaming services. You can get that now. Um, if you haven't watched it, highly recommend. Just uh, want to know your thought basis on it. I did not like it. But, you know, I saw it. I streamed it on Peacock. So I will go back and essentially probably watch that movie again right after watching the first one to kind of get a better feel to see if that movie is actually worth what I thought it was. And plus, from what I heard, the 4K and Blu-ray editions of it have an alternate ending that changes the way the movie ends um that sets up a different like version going into the third movie i don't know how that's gonna play or how that works but i'm interested to see what that uh alternate ending is uh the runtime on halloween ends is expected to be a total of 105 minutes long which isn't too bad it's just over an hour and a half um which is like many other horror movies from that time frame in the 80s and that will officially wrap up the Halloween trilogy. It originally was supposed to come out three years back-to-back, -back, but of course with COVID, it was delayed. Um, so that trilogy will end. I'm hoping for the sake of the series, they do not kill off Lori, a.k.a. Jamie Lee Curtis's character. But you never know. You never know in this series what they may do. Um, but that's kind of a little bit of the Entertainment 10 today. But let's go ahead for the last part of this. I want to kind of quickly advertise a book that I am about to dig deep into. And if anyone knows me personally, you know I hate reading books. I only listen to them on Audible or anything like that. But this essentially will be... A uh, book that I don't want to miss. There is no Audible edition of this book yet, but it is called Mox. And if you're a pro wrestling fan or AEW wrestling fan, you know who John Moxley is or former WWE fan, or not former, but former WWE wrestler. Um, if you're a WWE fan, you know of Dean Ambrose, same person. Um, this book, the opening cover part of this States right along John, right alongside John Moxley as he retraces some of the highways traveled on his remarkable journey. Reveal in the never-before-told stories about his early life in Cincinnati, Ohio, the gritty independent wrestling scene where he cut his teeth, the complicated corporate landscape of the WWE where he uh, bucked against authority and the rebellious upstart of AEW where he won the championship in 2020 and was finally free to achieve his vision of the wrestler he had always wanted to be. With plenty of 
pit stops and insights, including grisly, ultraviolet encounters, crazy characters who became lifelong friends, and his unforgettable matches in Japan. Mox is the riveting account of the life of a brawler. It is a tale written in blood and soaked in debauchery with a good dose of wisdom accumulated along the way more than back more than a backstage pass into the arena mox is a ticket into the ring once inside you'll never look at pro wrestling the same again um i look uh forward to really diving deep into this book over the next uh couple weeks or so um that is one thing i i got this gift uh got it as a gift for christmas for my wife took a while to get here due to some uh, back ordering problems, you know, everyone is having those issues now today. Uh, so it, it seems to be a good book. Um, John Moxley essentially uh, checked into rehab back in October of uh, 2020, 2021 and uh, for an alcohol abuse issue, I believe is what he stated. And he just recently, a couple weeks ago, returned on AEW Dynamite, which I... Again, look forward. I'm I'm glad he's healthy. He's he looks very healthy. He's alive. That's all that counts. And I will definitely enjoy this uh, long journey that his book uh, has to offer. And hope eventually, even if I do read it through, I hope that he does do an audible version of it. I think that'd be awesome. Or his wife, uh, Renee, which is essentially um, Renee from WWE. If you're familiar with WWE. Um, but again, this has been the Entertainment 10 segment. Let's go ahead and get into the XFL 2001 season in review. The thought of spring football had been in talks very long time prior to uh, the 2000s, going back even maybe to the 70s, 80s, 90s, you name it. Someone always wanted to create an alternate football league, whether it be the USFL, who went to their demise um, back in the 70s and 80s due to trying to go head-to-head with the NFL. Well, you know, there was a thing and a person in 2000 that surprised us and shocked us all. Being a huge pro wrestling fan growing up, Vince McMahon was a household name. He was the owner of the World Wrestling Federation at the time. And on February 3rd, 2000, he would shock the entire sports industry world by making an announcement from Times Square, live from Times Square at the WWF restaurant. He would announce that he is creating his own... Pro Football League. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The owner of the WWF, the one that is has been the WWF champion, who has taken on Stone Cold Steve Austin himself, is going to create a pro football organization. Me being, at the that point in time, about 13 years old, actually 12, I think, 
I was huge into football. I was huge into baseball, as we all know, courtesy of the Grand Slam podcast origin story. Football was my life, and, you know, I was a huge pro wrestling fan. So when the owner of the company that you watch every Monday, every Thursday, I think that at that point in time with WWF SmackDown was airing, you get excited. Um, But you question what exactly the thought process is of what exactly he's going to do. And with this announcement, he was going to do exactly what everyone told everyone else not to do, to go head-to-head with the NFL. Now, of course, he was not going head-to-head during scheduling, during the times they were playing, but better yet, was going to go compete with them for fans. Did he get it? Mm, Maybe, but what we found out during this press conference... Shock the world. So let's go back to February 3rd, 2000, live from Times Square at the WWF restaurant where Vince McMahon himself stood at a podium with a big black and red XFL logo. And behind him was an XFL.com logo background with the words that say, where the future meets the past. He asked reporters and fans in attendance, where is the smash mouth wide open football that the NFL used to be? But one thing was that there was no teams, no places to play, no players, no TV deal, not a thing. He came out there, made a press conference. Vince McMahon himself went directly for the throat of the NFL and called them as many fans at that point in time were calling him the No Fun League. And the XFL would be the Extra Fun League, he stated. Now, of course, we've never, ever understood what the X in XFL has stood for. A lot of people thought it was Extreme Football League. That, come to find out, is not the case. There was never anything. But if you were at least Vince McMahon, it was the Extra Fun League. And they would take football where it's never been before. He said this was not going to be a league for panty waste or sissies. It was moments, though, after this press conference that Vince McMahon got in his limo, was going to the airport, and got a call from NBC's own Dick Embersall, who at that time was a lead NBC executive and the producer of Saturday Night Live called Vince McMahon in his limo and told him, asked him, do you have a TV deal? Vince McMahon replied, no. He told him not to sign a deal, told him that he was bringing the XFL to NBC. And right away, this is where the XFL officially started to take off. Unlike the NFL, all eight teams of the XFL would be owned by the XFL, which meant Vince McMahon and Dick Ebersole had a lot more leeway with the product itself. The XFL was not going to be anything close to your current NFL product, whom at this point just finished their 1999-2000 season where the St. Louis Rams would defeat the Tennessee Titans 23-16 just days before this press conference. 
Trust me, I know. It was like the worst day of my life being a Tennessee Titans fan. Still haunts me to this day. Movies being made of that game. There's highlights every year. And, well, frankly, the the Los Angeles Rams are in the Super Bowl this year. And, frankly, to be honest with you, I'm sure I'm going to see that clip 500 more times over the next uh, week until the Super Bowl is over. Hopefully the Tennessee Titans come back someday and win the Super Bowl so I don't have to see that crap anymore. Uh, but anyway, so Vince McMahon didn't want anything to do with the no fun fun league's rules, as he put it. He wanted to have players sprint down the middle of the field for the football instead of a coin toss, which was called the scrap for the ball, which he would then, by the way, when the season started a year later, would lead to one player's season-ending um, injury after he separated his, sol- his shoulder just off of a sprinting for the ball. Basically what it was is you had two guys line up, they had to sprint down, and basically jump to grab the ball. Whoever got the ball first, or not jump to bit, but scramble or jump on the ball that was laying on the 50-yard line. Whoever got the ball first got the ball or got to elect, kind of like the, the stupid coin toss. And yeah, it didn't work out so well. But anyway, so McMahon and Ebersole also wanted to eliminate what they called a sissy rule of the fair catch and abandon it altogether on kickoffs. To say Vince McMahon built so much expectations about the league, it became so enormous that it was overhyped in the end. When it came time to announce the teams of the XFL, they were led by promoting violence and criminally criminal behavior like the Orlando Rage, the New York, New Jersey Hitmen, and then, of course, the San Francisco Demons. The XFL itself was going to go a step further and allow and encourage players to put nicknames on their jerseys. This was all part of the show and circus that Vince McMahon was creating to basically be a football league that seemed like you were watching an episode of WWF Monday Night Raw. Well, the league had a lot of opportunity for a player to play in front of millions of fans. And as the LA Times um, stated, it basically was allowing many of players the chance again to dream about the fame and riches offered by the NFL, but not play for the NFL. Um, There's a lot of problems leading up to the XFL, which I can see why people are being hardcore critics to the USFL currently returning and giving their players less time for training camp as the original XFL gave 32 days total with training camp starting on January 2nd, 2001 and kicking off uh, just 32 days later where the 2022 um, returning USFL is giving 27 days to training camp but the dumpster fire that would become of the 2001 edition of the XFL just seven days after tra- uh, training camp opened in 2001, the XFL launched a blimp covering the X or covering with a XFL advertisement in Oakland, California, where it crashed, causing 2.5 million dollars in damage. It's almost was like kind of a sign of things to come. Um, but you know, it wasn't a red flag or anything. No, not at all. Um, now let's, let's go ahead and when we look at the 2001 season, let's get a little more serious here about it because in my opinion, 
with the XFL in 2001, it did change the course of some things in football. NFL adapted a few things from the 2001 season, um, whether it be camera angles, uh, cameras on the field uh, type scenarios. When we really look at it, here's what we saw. So we had two divisions with eight teams. You had the Western Division was the Las Vegas Outlaws, Los Angeles Extreme, Memphis Maniacs, and San Francisco Demons, where the Eastern Division had the Birmingham Thunderbolts, Chicago Enforcers, New Jersey, or New York slash New Jersey Hitmen, and the Orlando Rage. These eight teams essentially created up the 2001 edition of the XFL, and it wasn't necessarily a disappointing league per se. It just was a little too over the top, too adult sexual content uh, that, of course, these games aired on national TV, on NBC, prime time on Saturdays and I believe on Sundays, also on the UPN, former, I don't even know, I don't think it's around, but the uh, former network called UPN. Um, There's a lot of different, uh, obviously, wherever WWF was basically airing, a lot of games would be held on those programming outside of NBC. So the season itself, that is one thing I will give the XFL 2001. They are, as of right now, from my knowledge, they are the only spring football league to actually complete a full season from start to finish with a championship Um, that... Obviously, we have the Spring League that is kind of what has transformed into the USFL, but not exactly. They have done championship, but it that league was more of a pay-to-play to get tape and get your name out there. Uh, before that, obviously, was the XFL uh, 2020 And then prior to that was the AAF. That failed miserably about, I think, eight or nine games, maybe ten into the season. They did not complete their season. So, yeah, there's a lot of different, I want to say different scenarios where you could look at the 2001 rendition of the XFL and say, well, it was a cluster F insert word there um it was they they at least got to get the season 100% underway they had eight teams they completed it they had a champion um which ended up being the Los Angeles Extreme they had players from that league end up on NFL teams um, the league's MVP, Tommy Maddox, for the Los Angeles Extreme, who won the championship, ended up going to Pittsburgh Steelers, having a career there, or finishing up his career there after, uh, I believe, Cordell Stewart left the Pittsburgh Steelers, and right before Big Ben became the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, quarterback. So Tommy Maddox it was a very known name for the XFL and then became somewhat of a name in the NFL. So Rod Smart, who was He Hate Me, um, if you're familiar with your, uh, the 2001 rendition of the XFL, 
uh, Las Vegas Outlaws uh, running back Rod Smart. Um, he was quite a character, but he made a name for himself off the he hate me he hate me uh, jersey. Um, like I had spoke about, they were allowed to put their own names on their jerseys or sayings or whatnot. And that became a popular thing as well. But when we review the season in 2001, um, there was, it was a full season. It concluded, it was not stopped by a pandemic. It wasn't stopped because of not enough money. It happened. And there was plans on a season two that NBC did not want to have anything to do with. They cut ties with them and that essentially had Vince McMahon fold the league and close it. Now, he held on to the property until, obviously, until the 2020 edition went bankruptcy, um, where uh, Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia and Redbird Chapel have bought it since, which starts up next year. But let's go ahead, let's dig a little deep into the 2001 season and kind of go over. I, I just recently watched the original XFL game, which was the Las Vegas Outlaws taking on the uh, New York slash New Jersey Hitmen in the opening game in Las Vegas, Nevada on February 3rd, 2001. Now, of course... This was actually funny little side note story to this. My aunt and uncle, um, who's my the uh, parents of my cousin, who was on a earlier episode of the Grandson podcast, um, he he was essentially born in Las Vegas. They lived in Las Vegas. My aunt was stationed in Las Vegas, Nevada, in the Air Force, and that's where my hook and like basically love for Las Vegas came from. Um, as a kid, I went to Las Vegas quite a bit, uh, to visit my aunt and uncle with my grandma. And oddly enough, just weeks after the XFL kicked off, I was actually in Vegas for WWF no way out featuring the rock, um, versing, uh, Kurt angle, um, for the WWF championship. So it's, it's just funny that, looking back on it, how close I was to actually going to an XFL game in 2001, but the week that weekend that I was in Vegas for um, WWF with my uncle, um, the XFL was on the road for Las Vegas, which I'm assuming they did that on purpose because Vince was not going to probably have the uh, pay-per-view happening plus the XFL at the same time. I could see they could have had a day game for Las Vegas Outlaws and then had WWF No Mercy later that night. They could have done that. That would have been great if they did because I would have definitely got to go most likely to both of those. But they were out of town, so I did not get to go to the game. Really wish I had been able to go to the opening night of uh, XFL in Vegas. That would have been so awesome. Um, but I did watch it at home. I remember uh, talking to my uncle, I think that was back in the AOL Instant Messenger days, and talking to him about it because um, we all got into it. He sent me a XFL uh, Las Vegas Outlaws jersey. I was a huge Outlaws fan. 
Um, I, to this day, actually have a jersey that I kind of had back then. I, I found one on eBay or Macari recently that I ended up getting along with actually a helmet. Eventually, I'll have a video uh, podcast with all that uh, type of stuff set up or whatnot. But this is m- where my love for XFL came from and the overall perspective of just the love of football. And I mean, that's now the quote of the XFL and has been for the love of football and for the love of f- the fans. And on the night, I remember watching it and it was being a 13 year old kid. Everything is like the coolest thing ever um now looking back on it and watching these games they were absolutely terrible um the ex the las vegas game that opened up was not the worst thing nor was the championship game i thought the championship game was actually really really good um looking back on it now i i guess i really didn't pay much attention to the perspective of it but the championship game was actually against two of the Western Division teams, and it was uh, the San Francisco Demons versus the Los Angeles Extreme, and which is which is just bizarre because I was like, wait, why did both Western Division teams play each other? But I went back and looked, and to actually create a difference in football and not have the same teams play for the third time in the playoffs, uh, like division games or whatnot, they ended up actually having it uh, seeding, and you had the top Western team play the top Eastern team in the playoffs to advance to the championship, and then the lowest seed and the lowest seed um, from the Western and Eastern play each other second best or whatever they did um and then at that point that's where the western division ended up taking both those games and ended up playing each other in the uh championship game which uh los angeles extreme ended up winning but going back and watching that game it's terrible quality obviously because it's from 2001 um it's just funny when you think about 2001 at least me being almost 35 years old i was 13 or 12 or 13 at the no in 2001 I was 13 at the time just about to turn 14 and man I tell you like the quality is just insane how great it is now compared to back then but the game was good um again the Los Los Angeles Extreme won and um it was some quality football that I think was just overran by stupidity between all the other aspects like the game of football was sort of there but then you had the circus of everything else you had Vince McMahon doing promos in the middle of the game backstage like it was a WWF event where he was trying to get cameramen to go into the women's locker or the cheerleaders locker room which was a thing of the XFL he wanted to go behind the scenes in the locker rooms, the cheerleaders and the players. Now, that actually continued in the 2020 edition with going into the actual football players' locker rooms. I don't think they had cheerleaders in 2020, thank God. Um, at least based on what Vince McMahon's 
vision of that was. That would have never worked, um, essentially, in that aspect. But um, with the locker room cameras during halftime, showing what the teams are doing, that really brought us uh, into the game and into the locker rooms. They hear those speeches from coaches to get their team rolled up for the second half. That happened in 2001. It happened in 2020. Um, but overall, again, I, I don't believe that there was much product that was incorrect or done wrong with the XFL. The play was not the best, obviously, for 2001. Um, I, I think it was just the adult content that Vince McMahon was trying to kind of push over into the XFL from WWF. There was too much involvement with WWF and how they essentially handled their product. It just was a mess. I mean, you you did have the rock cutting promos before the opening game. It just it didn't work. And then the announcers for the games were their announcers for Raw and SmackDown. You had Michael Cole, Jim Ross, um, Jesse the Body Ventura, and just dumb, dumb, dumb stuff that did not work compared to when he finally brought it back in 2020 and it actually made it a league that was what it was supposed to be, not this scripted television crap that he threw in there that just did not work. But if you haven't seen it already, there is actually a documentary on the XFL 20, um, 2001 uh, uh spectacular spectacle whatever you want to call the circus show that it was um on ESPN uh 30 for 30 it's called XFL I'd highly recommend watching this if you haven't seen it already I do believe it is on ESPN plus maybe even able to find some epi- or like the episode on YouTube but this this documentary, I think, was released right after Vince McMahon announced the 2020, 2020 season. Um, so, But yeah, go back and watch it. It gives a lot of behind-the-scenes information of just how much of a circus show this league actually was. And how it made it through the full entire season is just mind-boggling to me. But I, I really... I do think that, like, overall, that the XFL could have worked if Vince McMahon would have left out the WWF and left out all that, like, bogus crap he put in there, that it, it could have worked to be a potential league. And I just don't think going head-to-head or trying to say that you're going to cut the throat of the NFL, it's inappropriate. It's One, it's inappropriate. It's not, like, anything you should be doing as the owner of a league especially trying to go head-to-head with them. The NFL is the NFL. They they are a massive, massive company that it, it just doesn't matter. Like, you can't go head-to-head with them and expect to win. It just does not work, and many of times it's failed. Where I think compared to nowadays with the XFL starting next year, USFL starting in two months, They're not competition to the NFL. They are looking essentially as USFL said earlier, like I said earlier in that interview, 
that they're looking to basically build the players up from the the ground up, um, essentially to help them and craft their product to eventually potentially go to the uh, NFL either next this upcoming season for the 2022 season or in the future maybe even end up in the XFL or um, continue in a USFL if it essentially does uh, continue in 2023. So, again, the XFL 2001 edition was a crapshoot. It was just ridiculous, out, out outlandish, scripted, at least the, the segments. Play was not scripted. This play was dirty, hard-hitting, and frankly would have in that aspect would have not lasted long. I think that some of the hard hits that they were allowed to do even after plays and were not called on some of it, it was just downright disgusting, especially with how bad CTE CTE is in concussion protocols and stuff like that with the NFL and other sports that you can't have that stuff. It doesn't work. You're going to kill your players or drag them into um, depression, c- committing suicide, things like that that we've seen over the years that just would not have worked over a long period of time. I think if they would have uh, kind of controlled their boundaries and not been so crazy on NBC, they could have uh, essentially kept the league on NBC going to a second season. Um, they could have expanded. Who knows? I think they had the the one thing they did have is for the first couple weeks of the season, they had like a magnificent turnout of fans in all their leagues or all their cities they played in in 2001. And then, of course, it tampered down. He had stuff where I think one of the games went overboard because of overtime or overtime. <laughs> no pun intended. It went over the allotted amount of time that NBC was allowing on a Saturday night uh, for their product. And then the game kept going to overtime and overtime and second overtime and third overtime. And essentially what happened was during that, they cut into a Saturday Night Live that Jennifer Lopez was hosting and got in some big trouble for that had to make Jennifer Lopez wait on set it couldn't go live so there was a lot of issues there was also an issue where someone forgot to put gas in one of the generators outside the stadium for production and camera crews so they lost power and they couldn't get uh, gas for this uh, transformer or whatever it was um I couldn't do any of that because of like the area surrounding it didn't have the gas in stock. So they literally had to cut the feed and then go to another game that wasn't as popular. The game that was being played was probably like one of the highest rating games they had. And then it just went all downhill from there, which again, as I, I mentioned earlier about the, the blimp crashing, it was all just a sign of what was coming and the red flags were on the wall throughout the entire season. So, unfortunately, after the season ended, it wasn't long until NBC announced they were cutting their deal, which then uh, Vince McMahon moved on from the XFL and 
I mean, during that time frame, he ended up buying his competitor in pro wrestling, WCW World Championship Wrestling, uh, that ended up being for sale by uh, Time Warner. So, I mean, there was a lot of aspect going on in 2001 after the season that Vince McMahon was acquiring different uh, companies and whatnot, and that did affect the overall perspective of keeping the XFL running. Now, of course, but again, if it wasn't for that buyout of WCW or the issues that resolved coming into the 2001 or 2001 season, would we still have an XFL today that would have lasted many, many more years? That question will always be asked. But let's go ahead and dive deep into the 2001 XFL season. And we will start off with the worst team in the league, which is the Birmingham Thunderbolts. Who went 2-8 and eight on the season, finishing 4th. In the XFL's East Division, coached by Jerry DiNardo. Um, obviously, they played out of Birmingham, Alabama. Their attendance was 85,012, averaging 17,002 in five home dates that they had during the season. Uh, Birmingham managed just 131 points, the worst in the league, while the shaky defense squad gave up the most points, 239 in the overall league. Uh, Casey Weldon threw for 1,228 yards. Uh, Stepford Williams led the receiving corps, hauling in 51 receptions for 828 yards. Quincy Jackson was also a regular target for Casey Weldon. And James Bostick rushed for a team high of 536 yards for the Thunderbolts. Um, on the defensive side, Eric Sloan uh, got four interceptions um, through the season. Cedric Pittman and the and Quentin Reese each topped the defense with three sacks. Uh, that was your... Thunderbolts, the worst team in the league during the 2001 season. Next up, we switch back over to the West Division and go to the worst team in the West Division, which was my team, the Las Vegas Outlaws, finishing their team record in 4-6 and six in fourth place in the XFL's West Division. They were coached by Jim uh, Kreiner, playing out of Las Vegas, Nevada, their attendance was 113,096, averaging 22,619 in their five home games. Defensively, the Outlaws surrendered 143 points, the lowest in the league, but Las Vegas ran up 169 points total. Ryan Clement passed for 805 yards, and Mark Gravitz spent time under center as well. Uh, Gil Murphy snagged 27 passes for 273 yards. Rod, he hate me smart, carried the ball for a team best of 555 yards. Brandon Sanders intercepted four um, passes thrown by opponents. Kelvin Kinney and Antonio Edwards each sacked opposing passers seven times, part of the overall team of 35 sacks. Moving back to the Eastern Division, we go to the uh, second to last place 
team. That is the New York, New Jersey Hitmen. They finished with a record of four and six, finishing third in the XFL's East Division. Coached by Rusty Tillman, um, playing out of East Rutherford, New Jersey. Attendance 141,545, averaging 28,309 in five home games. The Hitmen stumbled, scoring only 132 points, and a defense unit yielded 145. Wally Richardson passed for 812 yards, and Charles um, Pullery spent time under center also. Uh, Zola Davis topped all receivers, snagging 29 passes, while Kirby Dardar added 405 receiving yards, while Anthony DiCosmo contributed to the receiving game as well. Joe Aska ran for a team-leading 329 yards for the New York-slash-New Jersey Hitman, well, Joey Elmos picked off four passes, and Israel Raybon led pass rushes with five sacks. Let's jump right on back to the Western Vision, where we talk about the Memphis Maniacs, who went five in five and five for their team record, finishing in third in the XFL's West Division, coached by Kippy Brown. Out of Memphis, Tennessee, their attendance was 101,981, averaging 20,396 in five home dates. The Maniacs chalked up 164 points, but the defensive squad yielded 166. Uh, Jim Drunken, Drunken Miller Drunken Miller threw for 1,499 yards. Charles Jordan topped. All receivers hauling in 45 passes for 823 yards. Uh, Rashawn, Rashawn Solemn ran for a team-leading 528 yards for Memphis. Corey Sawyer and John Williams each picked off two oppo- opponent throws. Uh, Shante Carver led pass rushes with four sacks. Heading back up in that Eastern Division, we go to the Chicago Enforcers with a 5-5 five and five record, uh, finishing second in the XFL's Easter Vision, losing in the semifinal of the playoffs. Coached by Ron Meyer out of Chicago, Illinois. I believe they played at Bears Chicago Bears Stadium. Their attendance was 78,549, averaging 15,710 in their five home games. The Chicago Enforcers racked up 186 points well the defense surrendered 184 uh, Kevin McDougal threw for 1,168 yards Aaron Bailey snagged 32 passes for 546 yards and John Avery carried the ball for a team best 800 yards for the enforcers uh, Corey Ivy seized five interceptions Larry Fitzpatrick uh, taught five pass rushers with 5.5 sacks and, of course, like I said, they would lose in the semifinals. Let's go ahead and jump on back to the Western Division here. With the second place, San Francisco Demons. They came in with a 5-5 five and five record, finishing second in the XFL's Western Division, losing the championship game. They were coached by Jim Skipper out of San Francisco, California. They had the highest attendance record in the league with 1,000, 175,024, 
averaging 35,005 people per game. The Demons racked up 156 points, while the defense allowed 161. Uh, Mike Pawlowski threw for 1,659 yards, and Jimmy Cunningham caught 50 passes for 408 yards. Uh, James Hunden and Brian uh, Robert Robertson pers- uh, provided receiving help as well. Uh, Kelvin Anderson rushed for a team-leading th- 231 yards for San Francisco. Uh, Kevin Cavasharon uh, snatched three interceptions. Eric England sacked quarterback six times. And again, the um, San Francisco Demons lost in the championship game. Let's go ahead and go back. So let's do the top team in the Eastern Division, which was the Orlando Rage, who went 8-2, finishing in first place in the XFL's Eastern Division, losing in the semifinal. Uh, They were coached by Gallon Hall. Their attendance was 127,817, averaging 25,563 in their five home games. The Rage scored 213 points, and the defense only yielded 185 points. Brian uh, Kuklik, yeah, passed for 994 yards, and Jeff Bronham spent time under center as well. Uh, Burks, uh, Diallo Brooks topped all receivers, catching 34 balls for 659 yards, while Mario Bailey and Kevin Swain provided receiving help as well. Derek Clark rushed for a team leading 395 yards for Orlando, and Mike Black also contributed to the rushing attack. Steve Fisher picked off three opponent throws, and James Robertson uh, led pass rushers with 5.5 sacks. Um, again, they lost in the semifinals. Let's go ahead and go to the final team, which is your 2001 XFL champions, the Los Angeles Extreme. Uh, finishing team record of 7-3. and three. Obviously, they finished first in the West Division and won the championship coached by L. Uh, Lugunbill. And they were out of Los Angeles, California. Attendance was 113,395, averaging 22,679 in five of their home uh, games. On offense, the Extreme scored 235 points, the most in the league. Meanwhile, the defense yielded 166 points. Tommy Maddox threw for 2,186 yards, which I do believe was the league leader. Uh, Jermaine Copeland grabbed 67 of those passes for 755 yards. And Saladin McClone carried the ball for a team leading rushing 384 yards. Terry Bullops intercepted three opponent throws. Matt Kenley topped pass rushers with five sacks, helping propel the defense to an overall total of 29 sacks. Um, Again, Tommy Maddox of this team was amazing. He ended up winning the MVP of the league uh, and, frankly, is still the reigning defending. Well, I guess you can't really say defending because Tommy Maddox is definitely not playing football anymore, but reigning XFL MVP for the 2001 season because in 2020, 
We didn't get a full season. We didn't get an MVP. In my opinion, the MVP definitely was going to go to the one, the only, the Houston Roughnecks quarterback, P.J. Walker. MVPJ is what they called him. Um, He was leading the uh, Houston Roughnecks to an undefeated season, but there was no MVP of that uh, league. So hopefully someone in 2023 will take the MVP of the league and be the next XFL champions because the Los Angeles Extreme still to this day hold that championship high and mighty. Probably not really, but, you know, you get my point. So the Los Angeles Extreme, again, they were the top team, and when you really looked at the attendance record for the XFL, um, the top three teams for attendance were the San Francisco Demons with the 175,024. The next team was the New York, New Jersey Hitmen at 141,541. And then coming in third place was the Orlando Rage at 127,817. So those three markets were pretty big. Um, Oddly enough, obviously in the 2020 season, the XFL did not have a team in San Francisco. But the uh, New York um, Guardians and then the Orlando Vipers their attendance records were nowhere close to anything of these two teams. So I'll be talking more about that next week and kind of comparing the teams that did or the cities that did have teams in 2020 compared to 2001 and what that looks for the future of the XFL in potentially coming back to these uh, departments, not departments, but these like cities and everything when we go forward. Uh, from a standpoint with the XFL in 2023 and how they will manage to essentially um, control those type of things to help attendance records out. Because in 2001, the records were like extremely, extremely high coming in for all eight teams, coming in in just under a million people coming through the gates at XFL 21 season 936,419 there's nowhere close how many people came out to the XFL games in 2020 but I am curious to see what the season would have ended with if they would have continued because St. Louis market was where it was being tapped I will go in full detail about that next week uh, when I review the 2020, uh, 2020 season, it's almost hard to say it without saying 22 on the end now that we're in 2022. Um, but let's go ahead for the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Today's episode, we are going back to the XFL, to the Los Angeles Extreme, and we are talking about one and other Tommy Maddox, the MVP of the 2001 season, who then ended up going to the Pittsburgh Steelers to be their quarterback in between Cordell Stewart and, you know, the man that just retired this year, Ben Roethlisberger, Big Ben. Tommy Maddox was the quarterback before Big Ben, and, man, it's almost 21 years later. 
Uh, it may have been about 19 years to be exact, but it's crazy to think that only one man has really quarterbacked the Pittsburgh Steelers as the show quarterback since the MVP himself, Tommy Maddox, uh, made his debut in the NFL. So let's go ahead and talk about the who, what, when, where, why, and how with Tommy Maddox staying with the XFL theme this week. Let's go ahead and get into that now. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The who, what, when, where, why, and how segment this week is featuring none other than the XFL MVP, the only one in XFL history, and the only quarterback, starting quarterback, that is, that is a XFL champion. That is Tommy Maddox. Now, of course, he is not no Rod, he hate me smart, but nonetheless, he became one of the greatest XFL stars of the 2001 season, and he was a former first-round draft pick with the Denver Broncos, whose NFL career basically got stalled when um, he was supposed to be the uh, replacement for John Elway. John Elway ended up uh, returning and playing two seasons, winning the Denver Broncos back-to-back Super Bowls. But... Tommy Maddox would go on to play an actual, um, he would retire, well, first off, he would retire from uh, the NFL, and then at that point, he would end up uh, becoming an insurance agent, and wanted to give it another shot at football. Um, in 2000, he joined the New Jersey Red Dogs, a arena football league, or the arena football league. Um, from there, his contract was basically picked up by the Los Angeles Extreme. And in reality, the rest is is pretty much history. Um, Tommy Maddox himself uh, completed 57.3 of his passes for 2,186 yards, 18 touchdowns, and 9 interceptions in the XFL. The Extreme won the league's million-dollar game championship, and Maddox earned the XFL MVP. From there, though, Tommy Maddox spent the next five years with the Pittsburgh Steelers in the fall of 2001 after playing in the championship game for the XFL. Tommy Maddox signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers and ended up playing most of the 2001 season as Cordell Stewart's backup before he became the starter in 2002. Tommy Maddox ended up going 7-3-1 as a Steelers starter in 2002 but through 16 interceptions to 20 touchdowns. Maddox started all 16 games in 2003, though he went 6-10 and and again struggled with the ball control. The 6'4", 6'4", Tommy Maddox threw 18 touchdowns and 17 interceptions on a disappointing Steelers team. Pittsburgh then selected Ben Roethlisberger in the 2004 NFL Draft, Maddox played another two seasons. He went two and three in five spot starts and won his only Super Bowl ring with the 2005 Steelers. Maddox tried out for the Oakland Raiders and Dallas Cowboys in 2006. He also had a briefly return to the AFL, the Arena Football League, through the Philadelphia Soul, um, but was waived on waivers in that following November. Now, of course, Tommy Maddox ended up playing 92 games across his nine NFL seasons. 
Um, he only went 15, 20, and 1 as a starter. And Maddox completed 57.2% of his passes um, for 8,087 yards, 38 touchdowns, and 54 interceptions with the Broncos, the Rams, the Giants, and the Steelers. Um, again, as I talked, Tommy Maddox was supposed to be the possible successor uh, for the NFL draft uh, to uh, the Denver Broncos, but he was a bust. Um, but he, he salvaged his professional career with the uh, XFL and then getting back with the Steelers all within a 15-year period of time. So, you know, Tommy Maddox nowadays is actually a uh, coach, a high school baseball coach, um, since he has retired in uh, Grapevine High, Texas, and he has won a 5A state championship in 2016. Uh, Maddox has stayed in Texas and coached the Decatur Eagles in 2018. The Decatur went 17 and 14 and lost in the 4A regional two quarterfinals. Um, according to Max Preps, uh, Tommy Maddox did not return for the 2019 season. So not quite sure what he's doing currently. But again, that is the who, what, when, where, why, and how. And just how one little move can essentially change your life on becoming an XFL quarterback, winning a championship, going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and winning a Super Bowl ring. I, I'm assuming the 2005, I'm not quite sure if he actually was the starting quarterback in 2005 Super Bowl or if that was Ben Roethlisberger. Um, but either way, he still has a Super Bowl ring, and he has an XFL championship as well. So pretty impressive. We hope to see future Tommy Maddoxes come out of the XFL. P.J. Walker, I think, has the best potential to. That's, of course, if the Carolina Panthers would actually play him. Uh, don't get me started on that one. This whole season was a rough season for the Carolina Panthers, who brought back one of the worst quarterbacks, in my opinion, uh, as of late, is Cam Newton. And they had P.J. Walker, the Houston Roughnecks starting quarterback, who went 5-0. and Could have done pretty dang good in the NFL, in my opinion. But they did not stick with him. They kept putting in Cam Newton. And then letting Cam Newton take uh, credit for uh, everything that uh, P.J. Walker did to get them into the red zone. So... You know, I wasn't too thrilled with that, but P.J. Walker did re-sign with the Carolina Panthers not long ago. Um, I do not think they were renewing Cam Newton's contract for the next season, as far as I know. So hopefully we will see uh, P.J. Walker back with the Carolina Panthers. If not, if he gets cut before then, well, guess what? 2023 XFL is coming back, and hopefully if we have a Houston Roughnecks team, P.J. Walker, you're welcome back on that team for sure. So, again, I appreciate everyone. This has been the Graham Slam podcast. And like I had posted on Instagram earlier today as I finished recording this, with the 21st anniversary of kickoff for the XFL with Las Vegas Outlaws going head-to-head -head with the New York, New Jersey Hitmen, I'm releasing this episode today. 
We'll see you back here, I believe, on Tuesday. It's going to be a short week for the Grand Slam podcast. We will be back on February 8th for the next episode to commemorate the XFL 2020, 2020 season. And, man, do I have a lot of stories for that uh, episode, personal stories, as I was part of that action. So look forward to that. I hope everyone has a great weekend. You have extra time to listen to this episode going into Tuesday night's episode. And then we'll have a little bit of a break until the 18th of February, which should be a live episode on Twitch talking about the XFL 365 days. I am assuming by then, as we all know, the Super Bowl is on the 13th of February. We should have a lot of information about the XFL 2023 season by the 18th so I'm hoping to dig deep into that Um, I have also reached out to potentially a uh, Seattle uh, Dragons punter to potentially be on the show so we'll see where that goes and if anyone listening has any contacts any former XFL players from the 2020 season, please let me know or anybody interested in becoming an XFL player. I would love to have you on the show, potentially for that uh, February 18th show. So we'll see you back here on Tuesday. Again, hope everyone has a great weekend. And if you haven't done so already, go on to the Graham Slam podcast Instagram page. Give us a follow. Give us a like. And then also subscribe to the Grand Slam podcast on all your favorite podcast providers and rate the podcast five stars if you like us. And we will do the same for you if you have a podcast and share your podcast. Um, I, I enjoy working with other podcasters and I would really love this uh, show to grow as much as possible, especially going into not only the USFL season, the Pioneer League season, XFL next year. There is a lot to cover over the summer. And man, would I love to have some interviews, promote other podcasts, and potentially looking for, if you know anyone that loves sports, loves the XFL, interested in football and baseball, and wants to be a co-host on this show, hit me up on Instagram, DM me. I have a spot to fill. I am looking for a co-host for this show to kind of bounce off some one to talk to. I think it would be great for the Grand Slam podcast and to build on what I have created so far. So, again, I appreciate everyone. This has been episode 24 of the Grand Slam podcast, XFL 2001, the original edition of the XFL as we head towards kickoff in 2023. The road to 2023 is here, is now, and we will see you back here on Tuesday for that recap of the XFL 2020 season. Have a great one, everyone.